you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 5. We're going to start in Matthew 5. And you can turn over to 1 Corinthians 11 and put your finger there too. Well, we had an outstanding day, and I know Mike's going to echo a lot of this at the end, but um, yesterday, the whole week, and then yesterday was an amazing day, and you know, for me, it was fun to sit back, because like I told somebody, it's not my circus. He's the ringmaster right now, so I could just stand back and smile and watch him sweat and run around and cheer him on and help him and, and just... Um, work the crowd and just have fun and not have to stress about it. And so it was a good day yesterday, and it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of people come across this church property yesterday. And so uh, I can't thank you enough as a pastor for all the ones that dedicated hours and hours up here getting things ready for the garage sale that come up here and cooked yesterday and, and helped with the car show and stuff because we're going to get a bunch of kids to camp because of that. But more importantly, there's a lot of people saw the love of Christ yesterday on campus. And so that was exciting for me to be able to stand back and just watch, you know, and enjoy that and see God's work come, uh, come together. You know, and last Sunday, because if you was in 8 o'clock and you wasn't in 1030, you missed out on something pretty special in 1030 because last week we had three people join. Uh, Miss Debbie Albin joined church last Sunday. And I'm just being honest, that's a lot of prayer for a lot of months. And, um, and so she joined church at the end, and Mr. Randy didn't even know that was coming. She said, come on, and he thought they were just coming to pray. And she said, oh, no, I'm joining church. I'm making Live Oak my home. And so that was exciting. And then Danny and Julie Jones joined last Sunday, and so that was exciting. And let me tell you a little bit about that one, too, because that's the faithfulness of Live Oak throwing the doors open for a funeral and from a conversation in a parking lot that allowed me to do that funeral that they found home here. And so that's why we do what we do. You know, it's not for Live Oak, it's for the kingdom and it's for God, but it's because of the faithfulness of this church. And so, um, so that's exciting stuff. And um, I could go on for days and days, but I'm not, maybe. I'm going to leave myself some latitude. And um, I, I'll be real honest, as I was praying about this series, and, and I... I had somebody the other day ask me, say, well, how do you come up with your series? And, and I'll tell you exactly. I was on the Internet, and I found a graphic. And the graphic said things that we wish Jesus never said. And I said, boy, that, that, I really like that. That's catchy. And so I, I started praying about it. It's all right, that's the direction I'm going to go. And then I give it to Mike, and, and Mike comes up with all these really cool pictures. I don't do that. That just I can't do it. And so I get jealous of him because he can think of it like that and do it. And so he, Mike made that. But, you know, I'll be real honest. After I started prepping and getting ready, I said, God, I don't know if I want to do this series. This is getting in my business, you know. And I said, I, I don't even know if I want to preach this first sermon. I might just call in sick today and, and skip to next week. But, uh, but that's not what God wanted. But let me read this to you. Um, I've been reading a book, and it's called um, Yawning, at Yawning at Tigers. And, and this was in it last night as I was... Um, I went home, not even going to lie, took me some Tylenol arthritis, ate me a bowl of jambalaya, stretched out, slept in my chair for about an hour and a half, and then I woke up, and I, and I was reading a little bit, and, um, and I read this last night, and um, this book 
is fairly old because at the time this was written, Tom Brady only had three Super Bowl wins, and I think he has six. I don't know. I don't know. If Tom Brady walked in a room, I wouldn't know him. I don't watch football, you know. And so, but anyway, when I was reading this, it said, A few years ago, I watched a 60 Minutes interview with New England, with the New England Patriots star quarterback, Tom Brady. And to, to say that Tom Brady has a lot going for him would be an understatement. He's one of the best players in the NFL. He's won three Super Bowls, and, of course, he's wealthy. On top of that, Brady looks like a model. He, his chiseled features and luxurious hair have landed him on the cover of G, GQ magazine. I'll never land there because I don't have the hair, apparently. I got the chiseled figure, but not the hair. <laughs> it don't say how he's chiseled. I don't know why y'all are laughing. And, um, and it said... And then it said, "People, the People magazine named him as one of the sexiest men alive. And I've been nominated, and I told them, don't put me on that. <laughs> and he's also married to a Brazilian supermodel. And it says, considering his incredible fame and fortune, what he had to say in the interview was a shock. There was, there has, there's got to be more than this, he told the 60 Minutes host Steve Croft. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? A lot of people would think, man, you've reached your dream. But this, for me, I think, God, there's got to be more. What's the answer, Croft asked him? I wish I knew. Brady said, I wish I knew. Isn't that something? This guy's got everything in a materialistic view and still knows that there's more out there. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about as we talk, because the things that we wish Jesus never said, you know, and and if, if you don't read in the New Testament, then you're, you're going to say, well, nothing bothers me. But I'm telling you, as I read this stuff, it kicks me in the throat. I'm just being honest. And so I'm going to start in Matthew 5, and I'm, I'm going to start in verse 43, but then I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be skipping all over chapter 5, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11 too. But um, let's pray before we get started. Father, we just come right now, Lord, just say that we love you, Father, and I thank you for today. And Father, right now, Father, I just ask, Father, that my words be your words. Father, that my heart be your heart over the next few minutes. And that, Father, we hear from you in a real way. Father, we hear what you sent your son to say to us on how we should live. Father, let us hear these words. Father, let us... Bury these words in our heart. Father, let us leave a changed people. Father, that's sold out to you and you only. Father, we love you. In your son's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Matthew 5, we'll start in verse 43. It said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, and every time Jesus throws that buddy in, there's about to be a big change in the momentum. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may, have, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, and you read those words and you start looking at them, and I want you to go back, because remember I told you, I'm going to get you to mark your Bibles up. 
Go back and underline in verse 44 where it says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is contrary to anything the world teaches us, isn't it? How many of us want to hold on to grudges? How many of us want to get mad? And then he's telling us, he's telling us to love them and then to pray for them. That don't even make sense in a lot of things, does it? But that's what he's telling us. So underline that. That's important. And then skip down into verse 48. Underline this. Highlight this. Put a star beside it. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, when you hear that, what was he even thinking when he said that? You know, think about it. Um, skip over real quick in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And this is Paul talking to the church of, of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know, Paul's echoing what Jesus just told us. Paul's telling us, follow my example as I follow Christ. Well, if Paul's being that bold to tell you that, that means Paul's searching, I mean, Paul's seeking to be perfect. Paul's seeking to be like his father. Paul's seeking to be like Jesus. And so he's being bold. He's telling the people of Corinth, look, imitate me. Be like me. Now, how many of us would want to make that statement to our family whenever we're comparing our life to Christ? Or to our friends. Think about it. You know, how many of us could look at our kids or look at our wives or look at our husbands and say, hey, be like me as I imitate Christ. Some of us, if we get real honest, would say, run from me because I am not imitating Christ. If we got real honest right here. And so go back over into Matthew with me and look at it, you know. But what was Jesus thinking, you know? Because he's telling us, he's saying, love your neighbors, love your neighbors. But he said, not only love them, but pray for them as they persecute you. You know, when he starts putting those butts in there, things start changing. And so um, whenever you look at this, but you know, let's just get real honest. The, the Christian excuse or the Southern Baptist excuse, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's our out on doing what we do. Think about it. You, have you ever heard that statement? Let's get honest. Have we ever? How many of us has made that statement? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But what if it's more to it than that? And that's what Jesus is calling us out to be. Whenever he's telling us to be perfect like me, he's calling us out. He said it's not about just being a sinner saved by grace. It's about being like me. It's about living like me. It's about praying for those that are persecuting me. It's about praying for those that need me. You have to do this. You know, I wrote these things down as I was thinking about that statement. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I know I can't do any better. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm nowhere near perfect. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. God will forgive me for doing that. After all, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Really. Are we just forgiven? Think about that. Are we just forgiven? You know, but that's the mindset that we have. You know, whenever you start looking, you know, Christ is calling us to an unconditional love. But what we have to decide in ourselves is whether we'll do that. 
Will I have an unconditional love? Will I have an unconditional love that's going to chase after God every day of my life? Am I going to have that unconditional love so that whenever people see me, they see Christ? Whenever they imitate me, they're imitating Christ. We have to choose if we're going to have that kind of love, right? But it's an everyday decision that we have to do that. And whenever you start looking at, at chapter 5, and, and I'm going to be skipping around a lot whenever you look at that, you know, but the big point of the Sermon on the Mount where I'm going to be reading from in different places is not to excuse our behavior. It's to call us to a higher purpose. It's to give us something else. You know, I wrote in my Bible, Jesus raised the standard on us for living. You know, let's skip back into verse, um, we'll start in verse 21. It says, you have heard it said that for, to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be, surge, will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. That changes the whole scenario, don't it? Because most of us could sit and say, well, I've never murdered anybody. But how many of us can sit here and say, I've never been angry with somebody? And Jesus is telling us, I'm going to judge you the same. Skip down into verse 27. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That but changes everything, don't it? You know, let's just get real. I'm, most of us, a lot of us could probably say, you know, I've never committed adultery, but how many of us could ever say we've never looked at a man or a woman lustfully? It changes, don't it? He's raising the standard on us. In verse 31, it says, It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give, a, give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's changing everything, you see? And this is his words. And, you know, it goes on in verse um, 33. It says, again, you have heard that it was said from people long ago, do not break your oath, but, but, but to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear on an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, it is his city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Beyond anything else comes from the evil one. He's changing everything, isn't he? He's calling to that higher standard. You have heard it said in verse um, 38, you have heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to see you, take your shirt off and hand it over to them and hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. He's changing everything. You know, these are his words, not my words. He's changing everything. He's saying, you've heard it told, but let me tell you now how we're going to live. And so when you get down here and, and you hear the words again, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemy and pray for the ones who persecute you. He's changing everything about us. He's not setting a standard that we can't reach. He's setting a standard to raise us. How do we sharpen ourselves whenever we do something? If you play sports, how do you get better at sports? Whenever you, 
you know, like, like I love to shoot. You know, I love to, to shoot my shotgun. How do I sharpen myself as a, as a shotgun shooter, you know? I go shoot skeets, and I shoot in different scenarios, and I practice, and I hone, and I practice, and I hone. How did I get better whenever I was an engineer, and how did I get better at my design work? I just didn't sit back and just get complacent and say, you know, this is all I need. Because it's been told to me long ago that all I have to be able to do is letter and be able to mimic somebody else in lettering. And Mark knows what I'm talking about when we used to do hand drawings before computers. But if I had just stayed like that level, then over the next two or three years when we transitioned to AutoCAD, I'd have been left behind. And then whenever I was getting out of it, it was transitioning to 3D modeling. You have to sharpen yourselves. How do we sharpen ourselves? We get involved in small group Bible studies. How do we sharpen ourselves? We get around people that believe like us, but at the same time, we can't get hung in those circles. Because what does he tell us? He said, if you love those who love you, your reward, what reward will you get? You know, even the tax collectors are doing that. You know, if you're just hanging out in those same circles, you're not going to sharpen yourself. If you're just hanging out in those same circles, you're not reaching a community that he's calling us to reach. Because whenever he gets down here and he makes this statement, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. Be perfect. You know, I immediately thinking, I can't be perfect. Even though Tammy thinks I'm perfect, I'm not. You know? But how do I do that? I don't just wake up and say, you know, God, I'm perfect now. I'm right there with you. Every day, every day, every day, I have to wake up and say, God, I'm going to serve you. Every day, I've got to get in this word, and I've got to read this word, and I've got to read these hard verses like this. Well, God, you don't understand. Do you know what that person said about me at Johnny's Groceries last week? Do you know what they said about me? Why do I want to pray for them? They're persecuting me. Because I loved you first. He set the standard because he loved us. Do I deserve to be loved by God? Absolutely not. But he chooses to love me. And then he calls me into that perfection and says, Johnny, church, I want you to love like me. I want you to be perfect like me. I want you to reach out the way that I reach out. But what happens? We get tainted by our culture. And I'm not blaming our culture, but we're tainted by our culture. Because whenever we look at what the world teaches, and I'm just being real right now, churches has made it too easy on believers. Because we don't hold people accountable. We don't look them in the eye. We don't hold, I've got brothers, friends, that'll look me in the eye and say, Johnny, you need to do this. Johnny, you are really messing up right now. And I know they're doing it because they love me. But what's happened over the course of years within church world is we say, you know something, we, we can't offend them. They'll quit coming. Well, let me tell you, this word will offend you whenever you read it. And if it don't, you're not living and you're not believing. Because whenever I read this, it digs into me on how I should live and how I should be living. But we in, in church world, we, we've let people skate and we've given them excuses. And that's not what God's calling us to do. 
God's calling us to be perfect. And so whenever Donnie's doing something that I don't, that I don't think is lining up with God, we have that relationship to where I can sit down with him knee to knee and eye to eye and say, Donnie, we need to pray about this. Donnie, this is really what God's calling us to do. And it's not easy. But it's what we're supposed to do. And so whenever we read these words and we see this, you know, but we have to decide, God, I'm going to chase after you. God, I'm going to love you. God, even though what you're telling me, the things I wish you never said, God, I wish you wouldn't have told me that I need to be perfect. God, I wish you wouldn't have told me that I need to love the ones that are hating me right now. God, I wish that you wouldn't have told me to pray for those people. And that's how we say it, those people. Tell me you haven't had a conversation in your head. We know those people, don't we? That's the ones he's calling us to pray for. But I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here this morning, the more you do it, the more you love him, the more you fall in love with him, the easier it gets. It never gets easy completely, but it gets easier. This week I had the opportunity to go and, and um, to one of the local schools and it was pet week, I think, and they had invited me to come in and do my presentation. And just, not my presentation, but just to come in and show dog training. And I couldn't talk about God. And you can ask Brother Mike, and you can ask my dad who was with me. I had blood running down my face because I love God so much, and I see God when I use them dogs. And I'm thinking, how can I not tell these kids about God today? So I couldn't even concentrate on what I was doing because I was so worried about saying something that I wasn't supposed to say in that setting. But I wanted to honor that school because they had invited me in for a purpose. But I was a nervous wreck the whole time I was doing it because everything inside me. And at one point I opened it up and whenever you open it up to little kids in elementary and say, hey, you can ask questions, you just don't even know what you're getting into then. And so finally, one of the little kids looked up, and she said, well, who teaches you? And in my heart, it's screaming, God, God, God. But in my brain, I'm thinking, Trent Thibodeau, Trent Thibodeau, because that's the professional trainer I work with. And I'm thinking, I can't scream God right now. I have to give credit to a man for teaching me how to train these dogs. But that's how in love with him we ought to be. And I'm not telling you this morning to imitate me, because I'm not perfect. I'm not as bold as Paul, but I would tell you that me and your staff strive to live like God every day. And we have to make decisions every day. And as a church, as a church, that's what our community ought to see. It ought not see a bunch of people that think that they're all that in a bag of chips. It ought to see a bunch of people that's so in love with God that they're glowing with God's love. Jesus came and he walked these dirty roads with us. He ate, he cried, he laughed. And that's how we ought to live. When we're crying with somebody, they ought to see God's love. When we're laughing with somebody, they ought to see God's love. When we're rubbing shoulders at a car show or standing around a jambalaya pot or standing in a junk sale in that room that stunk, I'm not, I burned a candle all week. I said, I feel like I'm living in the middle of a storeroom. But those people need to see God's love. We need to see God's love. We need to be living it.